Hey, it's Kathy. I have something so fun to tell you about. You may know that the doors are open to my new program, The Abundance Method, but if you enroll by May 15th at 11.59 p.m. Pacific, you're going to get my signature business program also made to do this. That's a $3,000 program that you are going to get for free, included if you sign up by May 15th, just before midnight Pacific time. Made to do this is a phenomenal program that has helped thousands of souls to start businesses, to be able to make a living doing something that they love. This is an incredible deal. You don't want to miss it. Go ahead and sign up at kathyheller.com slash join. Put a lot of work into it and you get a lot out of it. And I have put a lot of work in it since 1967. And here it is 50 years later, I'm still working. If you're a creative person, if you're a baker, a dancer, a photographer, a screenwriter, an actor, a comedian, a podcaster, and you want to figure out how to make a living doing what you love, this is the show. This is the show. Don't keep your day job. My name is Kathy Heller, and I'm a singer-songwriter. I make a living doing what I love, and I want that for you. This is the show that's going to help you do that and give you not only inspiration, but some real-life strategies. This is going to help you figure out how to take your creative passion and turn it into a profit. Thanks to Latote for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Get started for as low as $39 a month and enter promo code DREAMJOB to get 50% off your first month. That's latote.com and promo code DREAMJOB for 50% off your first month. I also want to thank Wistia for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Wistia is the video hosting platform with analytics and video marketing tools that power creative communication for more than 300,000 businesses. Start your free account today at wistia.com. Hey, this is Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. I am so delighted. Ed Beckley Jr. is with us here today, and we're going to dive in and hear all about his success, not only with his acting career, but how he has been such a pioneer, inspiring everybody around him to live a more eco-friendly life. So we're going to dive into that soon. Before we do, I just want to say a couple things. Yesterday, I was reading a book to my three-year-old and five-year-old girls, and um, this book is great. It's called The Dot. It's by Peter H. Reynolds, and I just wanted to share it with you. Um, I think there can be a lot of wisdom sometimes in children's books, just like our last guest, Gretchen Rubin, was talking about how much she loves children's literature. So this book is about a little girl. She is in art class, and she's just staring at this blank paper. She's not doing anything. And her art teacher comes over and says, oh, what did you draw? I, uh, a polar bear in snow? And she says, no. She says, I just can't draw. And she says, go ahead. Just just do, just try something. And the little girl just gets so frustrated and she just like slams her pen down and all that comes out is a little dot. And her teacher says, great, now sign it. And she thinks her teacher's crazy. And the next day she comes to school and her teacher has framed this dot. And um, she thinks to herself, well, I could do more than that. I guess I could make more kinds of dots. And so she draws little dots and big dots and she winds up having a exhibit at the school with all these different pictures of all these different creations she's made. And um, at the end of the book, a little boy walks up to her and he says, wow, you're such a good artist. I can't draw anything. And she says, I bet you can. And he says, I can't even draw a straight line. And she says, just try. And so he draws this like really squiggly line and she says, great, now sign it. And the whole book is essentially what we talk about all the time. So much of the reason why you are not right now doing as much as you'd love to do with your talent, with your dream, with that thing that calls to you all the time is simply because you're in your own way. And we all know this. And that's why I think you tune into this show because you already know what you need to know. You just want somebody else to sometimes 
really remind you and push you and you're you're smart i mean you're the one who found your way here you're listening to this right now and you've done so many things in your life that are even way way harder than this next thing but i think that the reason we don't start is because we decide that we're not good enough we decide that it would be way too uncomfortable who are we we compare ourselves to other people when really if we just begin we're going to realize that what's inside of us is probably even more extraordinary than we realize and by doing it we're going to get better and better at it and the doing of it will create so much more momentum so i think you know i was a kid who was not a straight a student and i think one of the things that's really served me in my life is not being perfect and being willing to go for stuff and just throw things out there and try stuff even if i don't think i have it all together i mean who in the right mind would get married and have three kids and do all of the things that I've attempted to do at one time. And it's like nobody has anything figured out, but we just take one step, put one foot in front of the other. And it's amazing how we realize that we have so much, we can offer so much and we can do more than we think. And busy people are actually more capable than people who aren't busy. And it's just amazing what we're able to manage when we just start. So I really hope that every episode, when you listen, if there's something that inspires you, write it down, make something concrete that you can then turn around and do, and just keep doing, because as you march forward, you're going to see that your bliss is going to carry you, and the work is going to start to speak for itself, and things are going to start to happen that you never, never would have imagined would be possible. So I can't wait to hear all about that. If you want to join the three-month challenge, go to No Day Jobs, that's N-O-D-A-Y-J-O-B-S, nodayjobs.com, and sign up. At the end of three months, I will be choosing several people who do this challenge to be right here on this show as a featured guest and tell us all about why you love to do what you do and how it's been going and what your process has been. I think it's going to be really inspiring to everybody listening. So go ahead and sign up. And over the next three months, you'll hear from me. You'll get an email from me once a week, and I'll be checking in with you, seeing how you are. And I can't wait to feature you guys because you deserve to sit here with me and tell your story just as much as everyone else. I'm so grateful for this community. You have no idea what it means to me. How many people come up to me and say, you know, I'm listening to the show and it's making a difference for me. It's, it's reminding me of what I want to do. And because of you, I, you know, entered my, my painting into a gallery auction because of you, I decided to put up my Etsy shop because I mean, I don't think you guys realize what that does for me. I don't take a single one of those stories for granted. And I love that we're building this movement. I really feel like it's something really, really unique where everybody is deciding that enough's enough and you were put here for a reason and it's time to figure out why are you here? What do you really want to do? And what better reason is there than to be a happy, fulfilled version of yourself? And I love that you're starting to actually put that into practice and making things happen. And I, I really want to get to know you guys more. So please go to nodayjobs.com and sign up because then you'll be on my mailing list. You can hear from me and then I'll be choosing several of you to have on the show. And I can't wait to get to meet you more. So the other thing you can do to support our show is to talk about it, you know, put it on Facebook, put it on Instagram, tell people that you're listening to it, tell people they sh- you think that it's inspiring. You have no idea that it's, it definitely is a grassroots effort. And because of you, you know, when we started, I sat down with my producer and I said, I don't know, maybe we'll have like 50 listeners. Like I'm not, you know, a famous person. I don't have my own, you know, jewelry line. I'm not somebody who's a household name. And thanks to you, thanks to your belief in me, thanks to you allowing me to show up in your life once a week 
and to be here and to have this role. There is no greater honor and I truly appreciate it. And um, it's been such a joy, such a pleasure to get every single one of your emails, to find out more about you. Come to our Facebook page and tell us um, what you're up to. If you guys left us a review, you will be getting a thank you from me. So go to iTunes, leave us a review, take a screenshot of it and email it to me at hello at don'tkeepyourdayjob.com. I'll be sending you something as a thank you because I truly, truly appreciate it. So before we start, I want to thank Latote for supporting this podcast. Latote is an awesome fashion subscription box that sends you brand name clothing and accessories for one low monthly fee. You can go to latote.com. That's L-E-T-O-T-E.com to get started for as low as $39 a month and enter promo code DREAMJOB to get 50% off your first month. You know, when I go to a store, I'm always feeling this pressure if there's a salesperson there. And I want the ability sometimes to like, just try stuff. Like, I don't know if I really look good in hot pink. I don't know if I really wanna buy those jeans with the fringes down the sides, but sometimes I just wanna try stuff. So Latote is awesome because you get to pick things that maybe you wouldn't have the courage to buy in the store, but maybe you get to experiment with different colors and different articles of clothing and things that maybe you'd really wanna buy this like certain kind of cuff or this certain kind of shirt. And you can just experiment with it and play with it. And then you can send it back. And then if you like it, you can keep it. They have great designer brands like Nike, Rebecca Minkoff, and more. So you're bound to find something you like. Also, you can get as many totes as you want in a month. So you could rent up to $700 worth of clothing for just $39 a month. Plus you get 50% off your first month with promo code dreamjob. Again, that's latote.com and enter my code dreamjob and feel fabulous with fashion delivered right to your door. So I also want to say a big thank you to Wistia for supporting our show. Wistia is the video hosting platform with analytics and video marketing tools that power creative communication for more than 300,000 businesses. You get friendly support service people who are available whenever you need it and resources to enable you to use video across your business, even if you've never made a video before. You can also capture email addresses right within your video. Companies like Cirque du Soleil, Squarespace, Starbucks, HubSpot use Wistia as their video hosting platform, which isn't surprising because Wistia makes it so simple to use video throughout your business. So I talk a lot about creating content and it's so important, you know, as you're continuing to build things, it's great to be creating content because everybody's on social media and everyone's looking, everyone's absorbing stuff. So I love Wistia because you can make videos, you can put videos up and you can start to see how is it that you are being received and who's watching what you're doing. So I put things out there. It's definitely worked for me. Wistia has helped me um, see what it is that I'm doing that's working and how people are receiving it and who's watching it. So I um, encourage you guys to check it out. Start your free account at wistia.com, W-I-S-T-I-A, wistia.com. With your free account, you'll get three video uploads, advanced video analytics, and all the features and integrations that were built with businesses in mind. It's easy to get started with Wistia today. Try it for free at wistia.com. All right, well, on today's episode, we have Ed Begley Jr., and I'm so excited that he's here. He was on one of my favorite shows growing up called St. Elsewhere. It's one of the best theme songs. I remember watching it with my family and everybody loved it. And he's continued to have just such a long lasting career spanning film and TV and stage, everything. He's been in all of those Christopher Guest movies that I loved. He was recently in Ghostbusters with Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy. He's done it all. But in addition to what he's done as an actor and how much everybody loves him and He's really forged a path for himself as he's followed his desire to make the world a better place and living green and eco-conscious. And so um, I'm so delighted that you're here. You're somebody that I've always just loved and I can't wait to hear your whole story. So let's start at the beginning because you've become one of the most household names. I was just listening to the theme song. To you Saint- have very lax standards, but go ahead. Oh, right. This is what you would say. Um, 
I was listening to the theme song to St. Elsewhere yesterday, and I started to cry. because It was a good theme song, wasn't it? Dun, 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 dun. Dun, I started dun, to cry because I remember being six years old, and just that show, like the... It was a good show, I, and I was smart enough to know it at the time. At that point, I'd been in the business 15 years when I started the first season of St. Elsewhere. I'd been an actor for 15 years and was about to quit, really. Apropos of this wow. show, I just think of it now. I was ready to not quit show business. I just decided to rethink things because I didn't get to where I thought I should be after a decade and a half in the business. 15 years, I thought, whatever, you're in the storm door industry, you're in law, medicine, sports, and you didn't get what you wanted in a decade and a half anywhere close. I was still kind of a day player actor and hadn't done a lot of the films I've done since or TV shows, I went, I'm going to move to Atlanta was my plan, Kathy. I'm going to move to Atlanta and I'm going to try to be a big fish in a small pond. I, I used to do stand-up comedy, so I know a lot of those people that I used to open for, big name acts and what have you and medium name acts. And a lot, I know a lot of actors and directors. So when they come to Atlanta, as many people do for one reason or another, to play the Great Southeast Music Hall, to play an arena in Atlanta, to do something like that, or to do a film in Atlanta, I'm going to start off as a weatherman or something <laughs> in Atlanta, and then I'm going to you know, get a talk show in Atlanta, like a, you know, maybe radio at first and then television. That's what I'm going to do, but I'm going to move. Honey, I was married at the time, had two kids, and we were just struggling to make the house payments. So I said, we're going to move to Atlanta. Let's put the house in the market. Let's do it now. Okay, if you really want it to ring. One second, sweetie, let me get the phone. It's my agent. Yeah, I'm sorry. What do you mean? What's the St. Elsewhere? I don't even know what you're talking about. What does that mean, St. Elsewhere? Okay, I'll go in and read. I went and read for St. Elsewhere. Didn't get the part. Did not get the part, the part of Peter White that Terrence Knox played. Wound up being the rapist, wound up getting killed in the show. And so I didn't get that. They threw me a bone and gave me this lesser part that was in one episode, maybe two, of Ehrlich. And so I played that, and they just responded to the character the writers did and the producers. And it grew, and I became a regular very quickly and was on the show for... Six years. Oh, my gosh. That show felt like um, coming home. It had so much heart. It was funny, but it was also like a, filled with so much love. And it was. I remember like that show feeling like my family felt like we felt better about ourselves as a family sitting together watching that show because it was such a wholesome and funny. But like a, and so I listened to the theme song and I started crying. I just remembered um, just what that felt like to be six and seven and watching that show. And that was like the first show that was like a, you know, Grey's Anatomy or like an ER. Yeah. So clearly everybody, you know, and you've done so many things from all the Christopher Guest movies, which I love. And thank you. I mean, you have, you're everywhere. Every time I turn on any show that I love, like you're in that show. Um, your IMDb is just crazy. And, and you're so well liked. That's the thing. You're such a genuine. Have you talked kind. to my wife? Have you talked to Rochelle? We'll get her in here for a little balanced. We'll try to be fair and balanced here. But everybody that I know who knows you is just thinks of you as such a mensch and such a good human being, which you are. The Sheb is like that, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to let out a gashai in a minute. I'm just, I've got spilkas. He's got spilkas in his connected is like, um, so, but you are. And then you've gone on to do a lot of good in the world. You were one of the first people to really pioneer and show the world how to be really conscious and eco-friendly and you know, reduce your carbon footprint. So I want to get to all that, but I want to start with how this all even came to light. Like you started out, where was that? Where did that begin for you? Like 
the first even inkling, I want to be an actor? What does that look like? I really believe, and I'll never know the answer to this question, but I really believe that if my dad had been a plumber, I'd be doing plumbing. I wanted to do what he did. I was crazy about my dad. I wanted to just do what he did. And so from the earliest age, I'm told age two or three, what do you want to be? I want to be a comedian. What do you want to be? I want to be an actor. You know, I just, I wanted to do that. And I went out and started going on interviews at age 10 or something like it. Didn't get anything. Never got a day's work for very good reason. (laughs) I had no training whatsoever. Can you imagine the son of a plumber? Dad, I'm going to ride in the truck today. I've I've seen you. You kind of put the copper pipes together like that. I think there might be a flame involved with the torch. (laughs) And the other is the uh, galvanized steel or whatever you call it. And you screw that together. But I'll be fine. Just put me on the truck and we'll start doing some plumbing. It doesn't work like that. You watch, you train, you, you know, workshop, you, you do different things. And I then finally, by no small coincidence, started to train at age 16 and then got a job at age 17, which is interesting as we sit here because this very year, in a few scant months, in July of this very year, 2017, I'll have been working as an actor for 50 years, for half a century. That's crazy. First of all, you guys are not sitting with him, but he doesn't look like he could be even I love you, and he's so and cute and adorable and smart so what was that like at first when you weren't getting those parts so easily was that really disappointing were it you was shocked very were you like I don't understand I'm Ed Begley's son don't you want to give me a job Kathy it was that a hundred percent I had this attitude I did not know it at the time fully but I analyzed it later and I'm not incorrect I had this wake me when I'm famous attitude I really right. resented somewhere. I never uh, let on that I was resentful, but I resented my dad that he didn't just call up and get me a wagon train or a gun smoke or a Perry Mason, those shows of the time, right. uh, like he could. Right, but I, that makes sense. This is the universe you lived in. You didn't understand. I didn't understand yeah. what was involved. I didn't know that he couldn't. He did not have the power or the will to risk his own career to call up and say, you know, hire my son. Who's right. going to hire me? Is he any right. good? What do you talk about, Ed? Where does he, where's he trained? What do you mean he hasn't trained? I'm sorry, I'm busy now. Call me back another time. <laughs> it just wouldn't have gone anywhere. Right. But I, I also realized later, besides this bad attitude, that I was <laughs> another kind of a bad attitude, a lack of, uh, of, of real appreciation. I, I didn't know that I was born on second base. You know, by that I mean I was the son of Ed Begley, and so people remembered my name. Again, it didn't get me a job. I'm not suggesting that, but it helped get me a job in that, A, they would remember my name, and B, they'd have something to talk about the interview. They might even be more inclined to have me on the interview. Okay, who's this? This is a young lady named Liza Minnelli. She's Judy Garland's daughter. Okay, it's Rob Reiner. He's Carl Reiner's son. And this is, you know, these different people are sons and daughters of, turns out they have talent, but it it helps. It definitely helps. But you you. are so talented. (laughs) You happen to be really- Well, you've been very kind. You've done so many things. So what do you think was the shift in in the work, in the honing of your craft? How do you think you- what changed that you I wasn't very good at all at first I mean really bad and I didn't know that I didn't know that I wasn't very good at all and I remember doing a play and I was kind of charming and funny to some people and that didn't help me at all what helped me is people telling me the truth there's a guy that I went to college with his name is Roger Reinhardt he's still my friend to this day and Roger came to see a play that I did at the at LA Valley College and it was called Creditors. It's a Strindberg play. And I went on stage in the Horseshoe Theater, 99-seat theater at Valley College in a Strindberg play. It's a three-hander, I believe. 
and I didn't know my lines, Kathy. Oh. I, I kind of knew them, right. but I was too busy partying and what have you. It's the 60s, 68, I guess this was, or 67, doesn't matter. But I went on in this play and didn't fully know my lines. So at some point in the play, I'm saying, oh, Tekla, I don't know. I just don't know. The line was, I don't know, but I kind of put a little, <laughs> oh, and then she jumped ahead like a couple pages or whatever to get, get us back wherever she knew the next way in was, and we got the, the train back on the tracks, but I didn't prepare. And then, so afterwards, back to Roger Reinhardt, he's saying to the one of the three people, the the lady, hey, you're very good, and I like that thing that you did. And the other guy who was in it said, really like the such and such. And Ed, um, you were there too. Oh. Um, it was a gift from heaven. I went into the bathroom, I cried. I hid, you know, in like the dressing room was all closed wow. up at this point, you know, and I went into this stall and just wept. And how can he say something like that? And I, yeah, Roger, what a schmuck he is. I hate <laughs> Roger, <laughs> except I forgot. He's right, you know. <laughs> It dawned on me that he was absolutely correct and it was an act of kindness. Right. I then went, I'm never going to do that again. Well, you must have really wanted to be great at it. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to go through the motions because I want the fame. Like clearly something clicked. You wanted to be really, really good at this. And there were different levels of then getting better. That was the first big one to really apply myself. Then I did Summer in Smoke with an actor by the name of Michael Richards who also went to Valley Kramer on Seinfeld, of course, and my dear friend Michael. We had a comedy act, what have you, but met him on that uh, that's play. That's amazing that you guys have that history. I'm right. I'm sure so many people listening are like, wow, that's awesome. And, and then I, but I played a, a smallish part, this guy that comes at the end to Alma, and uh, like a two, three-page scene, I don't remember, but I worked on the lines, knew them inside and out, had a bit of an accent that was okay, I guess, and did that play, and it was good, and people liked it, and I liked it more importantly. I felt like I had done something good, and that was the beginning of starting to be something like an actor. Then I studied at the Strasbourg Institute, then I studied with Peggy Fury, who was formerly at the Strasbourg Institute. I met her there, and she had a place called The Loft on La Brea, and they did wonderful work there. Bruno Kirby studied there, and Angelica Houston studied there, and Sean Penn studied there, and all these one, Lily Tomlin studied with Peggy Fury. And what did you learn there? What was your big, what was the big click? What, What happened? I learned to be more relaxed on stage. I learned to be more in character. I learned to develop a character and to, and to try to find something that was more interesting, to find these interesting aspects of a character that an audience might respond to. They're usually written into a play. If you're doing, you know, Tennessee Williams, you're doing Shakespeare, the stuff is written, you just have to service the material properly. But even within those, if you're doing like a TV movie or a movie or a series or something, it's not always written in well you know depending on the writer if you're dealing with a very good writer then it's all there on the page but sometimes you have to bring it yourself right. even if you it's have on to read the, between the lines you have to really you have understand to really the work on the character person. and have something that's interesting and so there are many different steps forward with that peggy fury was a big step forward in beginning to be comfortable as an actor on stage and that helped be comfortable more comfortable in front of the camera and more importantly to do things that were more interesting but the biggest leap was Years later, in 93, I was on St. Elswin, did okay on that. I was kind of interesting in that, I suppose. <laughs> but I, I then... You're so humble. I, I, it's I, not an act, I can tell. Like, you really just are like this. Okay, so you did okay. Yeah, you I did, did all right. okay. Yeah. And in 93, I was doing this TV series, and I studied with this guy, Roy London. 
and he was a very good acting teacher. He's no longer with us. And he said, you know, it's the most interesting thing to watch, Ed. I think it's my opinion. Take it for what it is. But I think the most interesting to watch is how a character deals with pain. And I went, oh, yeah, that's great, Roy. Thank you. So let's start on page one and do my scene again and tell me how I'm doing. And I went through the scene, started to drive home. I went, what a bunch of horse. <laughs> how would I, like, I want to see somebody on stage. Oh, I'm in pain. <laughs> and it's, oh, my God, right. I'm in pain. And, and then I thought about it. Wait a minute. That isn't what he said at all. He said how a character deals with pain. How do, you de- how do you deal with pain? You can, that's a choice to go, oh, I'm in pain and my life is so horrible. And that, I suppose that right. might be interesting. It wouldn't be to, so entertaining. Yeah, yeah, but how do you keep the lid on the pot? A, a character is in pain and that pain is trying to get right. out. You're trying to keep it down. Meryl Streep and Sophie's Choice. You see oh what her God. choice was. It's a tremendous amount of pain yeah. that this woman, and then you get the movie at that point when you see what Sophie's Choice was oh, yeah. in the movie in which she's brilliant. You go, holy Christ. I mean, that's how that character is dealing with pain. How even in comedy, Laurel and Hardy are carrying a piano down a flight of stairs and they fall. Carrying a piano down a flight of stairs. Can you imagine? Not only do they fall, they fall and the piano falls on them. Right. A piano. (laughs) And you're laughing as I was when I saw it. And I'm laughing now because they don't really get hurt because it's a comedy. Right. And you're laughing because it's how a character deals with pain. And it's, it's a universal kind of a rule. It can be a, doesn't have to be physical pain, Kathy. Right. It can be emotional pain. You can be showing it a little or a lot. But how a character deals, and you have to find that pain. Pain can also equal conflict. It can equal adversity. It can equal, you know, you get your thesaurus out for what pain means to you. I'm thinking of Jerry Stiller, like, screaming in Seinfeld, and he's so frustrated, like, <laughs> we're not going! You know, and you're just, like, hysterically laughing because he's so upset. He's it's so universal. frustrated. It's universal. and Taxi Driver, oh, you yeah. know, Denaro and anything, Meryl Streep and anything, how these characters deal with pain right. is what's interesting to watch because then you as a human being going back to the Greek theater, how in Oedipus, you know, the character dealt with pain, you, you then learn lessons. And how would I, wow, how would I handle that? Right. It's and, the thing we don't really want to acknowledge. So seeing somebody else have the courage to even be with it at all. And I think all comedians, the real comedians, like it's all this self-deprecating, this uh, right. Stephen Wright. And, how you deal with uh, angst yeah, the, the, and the pain. The pain and, of it all. I mean, Larry David also, I've seen you guys together. Example, one it's of the all best. that. I mean, it's, it's his constant neurosis. And you're right. Um, he, he couldn't be more amazing. It was a breakthrough, that. though, having this guy, Roy London, who was a wonderful teacher, put it into like a sentence that I could think of before I pre- prepare any scene, the first read through of the white pages of a script and then the green pages and the pink pages and all the different revisions that they have as they revise the script. You keep going, what is that thing? What is the angst? What is the pain this character is trying yeah, to deal with? Amazing. How much of it do I want to show? And what's interesting to watch? This little bit trying to peek. Did I see something? Did I even did I see him do that? Was that a twitch? What was that? And you have the audience guessing and that's part of good writing that's why Vince Gilligan in this new platinum age of television not golden age or platinum age of television we're in right now you see Vince Gilligan writing these shows where you see a pair of pants blow through the desert sky <laughs> and then a motorhome blows past them you go what does that mean you know there's a low rider car going ring, 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 and hydraulic lifts and there's spent shell casings in the foreground and the black back window is blown out of the low rider car and you're going what there's a little doll floating in a pool with a, the eyeball is floating around too. What does that mean? A charred doll floating in a pool. And, and so 
That's great writing, to hook people in, go, what did I just see? What does that mean? I want to hear the rest of this story. So take us through this. So you started even before this. You did this play with Michael Richards, and then what was the first thing you actually got booked for? My first job was before I met Michael, actually. It was in 1967, before I started at Valley College. It was a few months before. It was an episode of My Three Sons. And Freddie DeCordova, who was a producer for many years of The Tonight Show, he was the director and producer, I believe, of that show, one of the producers of that show, but he certainly directed the episode I did. He gave me that part. I went and read for it. They didn't just give it to me. Now, I'll never know, Kathy. Did my dad call up and say, Fred, if you can, if he's within the spectrum of people that might. Just put him on there. Give him a Did he? I don't know that. He never told me he did that, but... Maybe, maybe not. That's such a big deal. I, mean, I might that, have just gotten the part. Who knows? I, I don't know that. But I actually live in Fred McMurray's house. Isn't that funny? Really? I bought my house from his daughter. That's fantastic. It's funny. Okay, so you, you're on the set of this show. And did you love it? Do you Beyond love- all words and measure. I was finally working as an actor. I left this set with my... Do you want to help take the makeup off? We'll give you some help taking... No, 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 I said. Thank you, I'm going to leave it on. When afterwards, I was finished by like... 11 in the morning, I came in early, did the scene, I was done. 11, 12, I can't remember when I was done. Went home, I had a paper route at the time. I delivered papers on a bicycle with a little bag with all the papers. Eddie, where, do you, where are you going? I'm going to go uh, do my paper route, Dad. I went in the paper, left the makeup on, hoping, Kathy, that somebody would notice me, Aww. that somebody would see the makeup and go, wait a minute, are you, are you an actor? <laughs> I literally thought it would... Also, I was an albino. I think I liked having kind of tan skin. <laughs> but I went and delivered the papers. Some people looked at me oddly. They, they didn't know quite what to make of a kid with makeup on their face. But I, I did it. As you continue to move forward in your career, what is it about acting that makes you come alive? Why do you love it? I love the creativity of it, of finding the character, working with other fine actors, actresses, and writers, and you know, finding the joy in storytelling. I like storytelling, and I love good storytellers. And I recently had the pleasure of working on Better Call Saul with Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould, these brilliant writers that, you know, every time I see a show like that, I just marvel at, you know, that kind of storytelling, visual storytelling. Sometimes there's not a word for pages on end, and you are taken on this visual journey that's so wonderful. And it's just, I love good writing. And I love good acting, and I'm fortunate to work with some everybody. Very You've worked with everybody. Good people and everybody. So you you book my three sons, yeah. and then you said earlier about the whole chapter of moving to Atlanta. So what was happening? Was it not consistent right away? What was going on? What was that journey At like? First, and how did you stay in it? How did you be patient through that frustration? That's a very good question. I started doing something else in the entertainment business. Is what happened because I literally thought after I booked that job on my three sons, and I'd gotten into Screen Actors Guild, I thought the phone was going to ring off the hook right away. I literally did. Right. I thought, I'm going to get a lot of calls now. And I thought, no, I think i got to wait till the episode airs. Maybe <laughs> and then I'll to, get the calls. Then I'll day. get the calls. Then the same thing, the episode aired, and I was like, you know, the lonely Maytag repairman waiting by the phone. It's very anti I literally thought something was going to happen right afterwards. And so it didn't, and I wanted to work in the entertainment industry at a keen interest in the technical side of motion pictures and television. Another thing I did at Valley College, besides studying acting, I right away shifted over, because the work, as I said, wasn't coming, to learning camera work. I loved the technical side of it, long before that, for years before that. So I started to learn a bit about camera work and the cameras, and I was a quick study, so I learned how to operate a lot of the equipment. And I started to get work as an assistant cameraman. I mean, good-paying jobs, 
you know, better than anybody at Valley College was making, you know, being waiting <laughs> yeah. tables or anything like right, that or right. anything. It was very good paying work and I did it quite a bit. And then, you know, the acting kind of pulled me this way and uh, the acting work beckoned on Room 222 and shows like that. And I gradually, you know, dialed down the camera work and dialed up the acting work and then wound up doing that for a, a lifetime career. If you were giving advice to an actor, someone's listening to this thinking, God, I love Ed Begley Jr. I've watched everything he's been in. I wish, I wish I could have one ounce of that career. What are your, what's your advice to someone who wants to be an actor? Just don't give up. You know, people occasionally ask me, young actors, actresses say, hey, I'm thinking of becoming an actress. What do you think? I go, absolutely not. <laughs> if you're asking me as a question, something the else. answer is no. Anything else. Anything else, unless you tell me, the other version of that is I have to act. You know, I, I, have to. I yeah. sleep, eat, and drink acting, and I'm doing plays and what have you, and I'm waiting right. tables, I'm parking cars, but what's your advice? Then I say, okay, let's have a conversation about what to do next. But uh, unless you have to do it, then the, you probably shouldn't be doing it. And what this, do you think sets somebody apart? I mean, you're on sets all the time with people who are just starting out, and you're obviously all working with the people who have been there forever, and then you see a few of those people who get like walk-ons. What do you think you know, sets somebody apart? What do you think a person should be thinking about and working on or looking at, studying? You look at people who are so good at it, like Meryl Streep or you know, Robert De Niro, and see what they do. It's all the development of the character. They take it very seriously. They put a lot of work into it. Months and months of work of character development and study. And, you know, other people, you know, people that I admire that I've worked with. Bob Hoskins, a wonderful actor, oh sadly gosh, no yeah. longer with us. And, uh, and Dabney Coleman, one of my dear friends. Yeah. Uh, Jack Nicholson, I have the pleasure of knowing. These are great actors, you know, Peter Falk, for God's sake. Oh, my God. Uh, I, I'm just so... Alan Arkin. Oh, my God. And you just watch what they do. What yeah, they do the is they have is like a depth... like the best movie. You can watch it 25 Thank you. I times. love that. I just saw it recently. Mrs. Mandelbaum, do, you cannot clench. Do not bite down. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Reiser, bless his heart, just oh had a God. thing. I love Paul. He's a wonderful actor, too, and a great stand-up. He, um, he had a thing out at Malibu at the Malibu... Film Society, what have you, and rather than show a film of his, which everybody expected him to, he showed The In-Laws. It was a remastered version wow. of The In-Laws, and he showed that, and we talked about it, had a few people from the movie there, and it was, it was just great. It really held up very, very well. What are some of your favorites of all time movies? The In-Laws is a great movie. Uh, Spinal Tap is a great movie. Uh, Best in Show is a great movie. The, <laughs> of the movies, of, <laughs> of uh, I'm picking the movies that I'm in. I thought that was a category. Let me <laughs> let me tell you, truly great. Chinatown is a truly great movie, of course. Um, oh my God, uh, Seven Beauties is a great movie. What's it like working in those Best in Show, those improv-driven? What's that like? Uh, Best in Show and all those improv movies are a joy to behold. They're just. <laughs> You know, because there's no script, as you've probably heard, there's a treatment that Chris Guest and, you know, now Jim Pittock and before that Eugene Levy would work on. They would do the treatment, and that's all the heavy lifting. Then we come in, we have a party, you know, with Fred Willard and Jane Lynch and Bob Balaban and everybody and get to just have a party and, and riff. But they do all the work of directing it and editing it and writing the treatment. It's just great fun for us as actors to do it. What are some of your favorite parts that you played? The top three. The top three would be St. Elsewhere, Dr. Victor Ehrlich, because it was such a long and wonderful job with such great writing. 
and the other one would be that smallish part, but a, a fun part to play in uh, Best in Show for Chris <laughs> to play that uh, hotel manager. I love playing the father in Pineapple Express for Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg and that gang. That was great fun. You've spanned so many different genres. Like these are all, it's it kind of amazing that you can do them all so well. Because St. Elsewhere was such a different kind of part than, than the Christopher Guest. And you... You can do the sincere, vulnerable thing, and you can do you can get right in there with like the funny. You're very silly kind. Thing. Which one do you like doing better, or do you like them both? It, you know, which child do you like the best? Uh, you can't ever answer that question. I just like, I look for the best material, you know, and it can be in a play, it can be in a TV show or movie. When I did Saint Elsewhere, I had never had a. Uh, a movie that was of that high quality that I was in. I can't think of one. That was 82. And prior to that, I hadn't been in a movie that was as good as that TV show. The scripts were just not nearly as good. So now I'm, I was working on that. And that opened the door for decades of work after that. If you're on a show like St. Elsewhere, Hill Street Blues, or some show like that, mm -hmm. that's that well written and wins that many Emmys and what have you, you have to really screw up to, yeah. to not work somewhere in the entertainment industry the rest of your life. It might be dinner theater, but you're kind of guaranteed work right. the rest of your life unless you run into a bus full of nuns, you know, with a, a, a <laughs> needle in your arm of heroin or something. You know, you're just going to work forever. And that cast was incredible. I mean, every one of you. Denzel was, Washington, I mean, for God's sake. Crazy. I mean, you know, just wonderful. David Morris, Christina Pickles, Bonnie Bartlett, Bill Daniels, Ed Flanders, Norman Lloyd. Howie Mandel. Howie Mandel, the wonderful so Howie. Cute. So, I love Howie. So cute then. Still cute. What wound up happening? Was there a moment where you felt like your dad said to you, wow, look at you. Like you've really done this. I never had anything resembling success as an actor when my dad was alive. He died within a, a few years of me getting my first acting job. By Ugh. that I mean two. Within two years of getting that job. And I worked very little as an actor when he was alive. It was mostly camera work. That's so frustrating. Yeah, he would be. I would love so, to have worked with him. And so proud of you. I hope so. I'm Thank still. You for I'm sure that. he's Shepanaka somewhere. I I think he would Shepanaka. I mean, you're like you're such a gem, and I want to talk about the other good that you've done in this world. Like, how did this whole part of your life develop when you decided to? I mean, you started out. I know a little bit of your history because I've been such a fan of yours for a long time, and you were. You know, you were like a popular kid, partying, going to Dantana's, like having a good time. And then right. now you're like the beacon of, of eco and health and progressive and consciousness. When did that all come it about? It started in 1970 with the first Earth Day. I started recycling. I started composting, became what a What made vegetarian. you want to do that? Uh, the air, the air quality in L.A. was so bad, you know. I asked them when they said, we're going to have something called Earth Day downtown at Pershing Square, and we're gonna, they're going to do it all over America in the Mall of Washington. I wasn't going to go to Washington and use a bunch of fuel to celebrate Earth Day. So I went, you know, I'll do something here. I said, what are you going to do? And they said, what we're going to do is we're going to clean up the air. We're going to clean up the water. And I knew the water was polluted because we just had the Santa Barbara oil spill. And I knew the air was bad because I'd lived 20 years in smoggy L.A. So I, I decided I would do something. And what I did was, I, as I said, recycling, composting, became a vegetarian, started using all biodegradable soaps and detergents. I even bought a 1970 electric car. Well, we got more work going on in the house. The work is never quite done here. <laughs> 
Wow, that, that's, that's a major change. Those are major, significant changes. And here's what I learned, Kathy. This was the interesting thing. It was unusual to have an electric car in 1970. It was a Taylor Dunn electric car. And when I say car, I'm being quite grand. We're talking about a golf cart with a windshield wiper <laughs> and a horn. It didn't have a steering wheel. It had a tiller. And, and you were driving around town Driving with this? around L.A. I never went on the freeway. It wasn't crazy. But right. even just going over the Quenga Pass, you'd be going so slow up the hill, you were a traffic hazard. But what was great about it was not only was it I was doing my part to clean up the smog in L.A., but I was also saving so much money. It was so much cheaper to plug it into the wall and use that amount of money, you know, electricity to, to spend that amount on fuel. It was cheaper than gasoline, the same way it this is, is today. Crazy. This is like Abraham discovering God in the middle of idol work. Like nobody was doing this. There was a few hippies and people doing things and what have you, but it was unusual to be there in There was no Tesla. There was no... Nothing like that. You didn't get a fancy parking spot because you had an electric car. You were doing this, and what are people saying? What were your friends saying? Well, I took Cindy Williams out on a date. She played Shirley and Laverne and Shirley, and she was in the conversation, Francis Ford Coppola's movie, and she's a wonderful actress. But at the time, we had just been on Room 222. That was our big claim to fame. And so... Uh, I, I said, can I pick you up Friday? We'll go out. I'll take you out to dinner. I went, took her on a date. There was not a second date, Kathy. <laughs> you she, picked it, her up it, in your little uh, golf cart? It was not exactly a babe magnet. It was <laughs> terrifying to her, you know, and I think I had not given a full charge, so we were, like, crawling up to the restaurant. There was a kid on Hot Wheels passing us by, I think. <laughs> so it was, um, you know, it, but I, I stuck with it because it was so cheap to run and there was no maintenance involved it was cheaper than any car i'd ever had so i went i like this green stuff the eating as a vegetarian was cheaper composting recycling all that stuff none of it never looked back you never missed a no riding my bike taking public transportation i kept doing it because it all was good for the environment and was saving me money so why stop I just wow. stayed with it for, for years okay, and years. Okay, but now this has turned into so many other things. You have your home, own line of soap. You have, I think you were one of the first people I had ever heard of had solar panels on your roof. Tell us what wound up transpiring from that, from that passion and that you were dedicated to that. And then what happened? Good question. I stayed with it with the recycling and the easy stuff, but I got rid of my electric car because it just wasn't practical. I had a family then. And you couldn't get a date. You needed yeah, Exactly. A I couldn't get time. a date. <laughs> exactly right. I couldn't go long distances. <laughs> And I believed everything anybody told me. So somebody told me back then, you're making the same pollution, you're just making it at the power plant. That's not really true because most of the charging is nighttime when it's kind of a free ride electrically, stuff that, you know, kilowatt hours that would otherwise be wasted. And it's, there's a bunch of other reasons why it's less pollution, even plugging it into the wall. But I didn't know that, so I stopped driving it for that reason. But I kept doing all the other stuff that was easy, recycling and being a vegetarian. But then in 1985, I had had three years on St. Elsewhere, so I was making some okay money at the time. It was a big cast, so yeah. we weren't getting star salaries, okay. but we were making fairly good money after the third year. And I went, I want to invest in something. I knew I wasn't going to invest in oil or coal or something like that. That was a big money maker in the 80s. But I said, I want to do something green, and I invested in a wind turbine. I just sold that wind turbine. I had it for... 30 some odd years it put out many homes worth of power starting in 85 so that's what i i wow. went on to another level in 85 i also put solar on my house i lived in ojai in 85 solar hot water for the first time so i had that then in 1990 i moved to that house where i did that show living with ed it was an old house a mm -hmm. 1936 house that i made energy efficient starting in 88 and took that quite a ways then i bought solar electric too because i went hey 
no matter if it's right or wrong about the charging electric car pollution, if I'm charging it on solar, I know it's less pollution. There's no question about it then. It's just Did you have an experience that really drove you to want to care about the environment like this? Or it was just sort of like you, you heard about this and then you said, I'm just all in. Or was there something ex- growing up where you felt something had happened, something that... Exactly. It was two things. Well, three things now that I think of it. It was living in smoggy L.A. That was a big one. It hurt your lungs like this. You had trouble breathing as a young man in the 50s and uh-huh. 60s. I'm not an asthmatic now, nor was I then, but I, you would have trouble breathing. Forget about running and playing. Just to sit, it hurt your lungs. Wow. That was real. That happened to... Anybody that was in the valley in the 50s, 60s, and 70s will tell you that's the case. That's the way it was. So that was one. Number two was the Santa Barbara oil spill. You know, that happened in 69, I believe. And that really woke everybody up to the consequences of, you know, oil production and drilling and what have you and wasting oil. Why do we want to waste this resource? You know, we're not going to get off it tomorrow, but let's use less of it. People started thinking in those terms. You know, by taking public transportation, you're still using fuel, but you're using a lot less. By riding a bicycle, it's made from, you know, there's a lot of fuel used to make a a bicycle. But then once it's made, it's It's very little fuel to operate. You know, you just basically an ear of corn and a bowl of rice is all you need to operate. (laughs) So that was the the second one. The third one was big, too. Maybe one of the biggest for a lot of people was going to the moon. Because they took these pictures. Did you go no, to the moon? I missed I that. I didn't part. go to the moon, but no, you didn't. my friend uh, uh, Buzz Aldrin did, and they took these pictures, Hasselblad pictures, no digital back then. These beautiful two and a quarter pictures of of the Earth in the distance, and then we began to realize there was no sign of life on the moon. There was no DNA in the soil there, right. or anything, nothing growing. Certainly, no. Right. There was no Starbucks there. Nothing no. was there You'd whatsoever. Think there might have been. And so it became more precious. Life on Earth, literally, to many of us who saw it that way, and many people did, seeing those pictures of the Earth in the distance, we realized, oh, it is one thing. It's kind of a living blue water planet. And that was the big one, two, three. The smog was the negative, the oil spill was the negative, but the positive was seeing that picture of the Earth from a distance. A real appreciation. I feel like you're like that in general. You're very, you've, you've said so many things, like how grateful you are, how appreciative you are. That seems to be like a general and my dad too he was a conservative and i am not but he was a conservative that liked to conserve we turned off the lights we turned off the water we saved string we saved tinfoil though he never used the word environmentalist he was one he cared about nature he got me in scouting i was a boy scout so i saw i saw nature up close and personal and thought it was worth preserving so my dad helped and more importantly than any of that that all was a great influence he wasn't a guy that was interested in what you were against. That's okay. I know you're against the smog, Eddie, but what are you for? What are you doing about it? Wow. And then he died. Earth Day was April of uh, 1970. He died that same month in 1970. So I did a lot of this stuff to honor him as much as anything because he had just passed away. And I was thinking, you know, what am I doing about it? You know, what am, I'm complaining about the smog, but what am I doing? What are you... It's very rare that I hear people talk about their parents the way you do. Well, he was great. He was a and great guy. Most people guy. have like, you know, it's, it's their excuse to sit on the couch and talk to their therapist and everyone's got their war wounds, but you uh, had so much admiration for him. He was, he was wonderful in so many ways. And he is the reason I also actually opened the phone book and looked to buy my first electric car in 1970. I knew that it was absurd that nobody would be selling electric vehicles in the Valley phone book in 1970. I knew it 
to my core, but I went, no, my dad's passed away, but still he's probably going to frown on me from above if I don't look and prove that nobody... What the hell is this? Electric vehicles. Somebody in receipt, a guy named Dutch, was actually selling electric cars. Mm-hmm. I did it to just to satisfy my deceased father. Shut up already. I'm looking up to the heavens going, would you be quiet? I'm going to look in the phone book. It's not going to be there. Leave me alone. You're dead. Leave me alone. <laughs> Open up the phone book. And there was somebody, this guy was selling them. I was the only person under 70 that ever bought one from him. But it was $950. That's amazing. And I bought it and I went around the valley and, uh, and, and loved it. And I've been driving electrics off and on since 1970 and nonstop since 1990. So, so much of this has become, I mean, in some ways, um, you, I wouldn't say a second career because your career is acting, but you are famous for this for sure. And you've become an icon and a role model in this. And you've gone on to, I mean, you, you have your own line of soap. So what, what wound up happening? You started getting asked to speak. You started, what, you were on the cover of magazines. What started happening that you became sort of the, the go-to, the person a, pioneering? A very good question. What happened was it started in 1985 with this Prop 65 caravan. A bunch of actors, uh, Rob Lowe, Michael J. Fox, uh, Judd Nelson, all these Brat Pack guys, me, Charlie Hayde, a, a bunch of other people went on this thing. It was all put together by Jane Fonda and Tom Hayden to try to pass this law called Prop 65 that was a tough on toxics initiative that made you have to list if there was cancer-causing chemicals and something, you had to put it on the label saying, warning, this has cancer-causing chemicals. If you're pregnant, whatever, you know, you use caution when using this. It didn't stop anything from happening, but it just was a warning label thing. So we went up and down the coast in this caravan to try to get young people to vote and get people to be aware of it. And we were a small part of the success of it, but the, the measure was a success, which was uh, like two-thirds margin to pass by, which is rare for those propositions in that day. Usually it's a squeaker to win something like that. But this was an overwhelming victory. And so during the course of that caravan, I was occasionally asked to speak because I seemed to be one of the few people in the bus that knew how to pronounce hexavalent chromium, <laughs> let alone know what it was. So polychlorinated say. biphenyls and trichloroethylene and all these things. You don't have to I'm, show off. I'm not a right. chemist, but I, can say these words. but I know some, about some of these things. So yeah. then pretty soon I was tapped by people. David Rowe was on that bus and uh, the Carl Pope from the Sierra Club and all these people. They said, you should be on the board of the League of Conservation Voters. You I should see. be on the board of... Um, these, this recycling organization, California's Against Waste. So suddenly I'm on the board of these environmental... How do you have time for all this? Even now, I mean, you're always working. How do you have time to do all this? I actually don't. I've got to get <laughs> off some of the boards because, no, just for them to do better by these boards, I'd rather do three things well than 18 right. things and poorly. And they're always meeting. Like what, they're meeting just to have a meeting, to discuss a meeting. I've got to... No, but you've clearly, so much of this has been so great because people have been so influenced by you. They love you. Well, they find you like so endearing. And then they decide to do what you're doing just because you're doing it. Well, that show, Living With Ed, was a great success. And I fought Rochelle on that one. I didn't want to do that show, but she wanted to do it and wound up doing it. And here's what happened that had never happened before. Besides just being on the boards, I was asked to speak around the country because of that show. I was asked to do green product endorsements because of that show. And more importantly than that, much more important than those two things, was the fact that people regularly would email, 
write me, come up to me on the street or at an airport or somewhere and say, I got one of those solar ovens because of you and your show. And I love how it has a little thermometer built into the glass and you go, holy Christ, they got a level of detail of knowledge. They clearly did buy one of these solar, they're not just coming up, right, I bought a right. solar oven. To make you Do you think again. he believed it? I, I didn't right. really buy one, right. but I just want to get an autograph. People would come up and say, you know, I bought one of those rain barrels I got a rain barrel and I put it up in the blocks and the little spigots at the bottom and so I let it flow to my garden you go holy Christ they really got one of those too yeah, that's awesome. it, it really made a lot of people actually try this stuff because we always emphasize not just the environment hey even if you don't care about the environment do you want to save some money go get a rain barrel for that reason get a solar oven get a energy efficient thermostat and we promoted that stuff and, it, and it, we did very well with that so it's so amazing you you were so influenced by your dad, who you loved, and you not only carried out his legacy, I mean, the ripple effects, I mean, it's just incredible what a good soul you are and how you had, you kind. wanted so much to honor his message, and then you took it to the nth degree. So for people listening, what are a few things that people could do? Maybe they're overwhelmed, but they want to try to, try to be a little more green. What are a couple of things maybe people could do? Energy efficient light bulbs. Now the LEDs are very inexpensive. Get some of those. They're a little bit more than a regular bulb. You're going to get that money back in just a few months right. for that extra, for that light bulb, for the electricity right. you're going That's to save. Right, that's easy enough. And now they're very attractive light. They're not that blue kind of harsh yeah, no, looking light. Nice. They yeah, look good them. and they're fully dimmable. So that's one. Okay. Energy saving thermostat I mentioned a, a minute ago. That's very good. Get the energy saving thermostat and don't just install it, program it for like wake and sleep, leave and return oh, modes. You're going to save a lot of energy and money. Vampire power. People don't talk about this much. It's called phantom power, vampire power. It's stuff that you have plugged in all over your house and I have it here too. Put all the stuff you don't need at night when you're asleep and you don't need when you leave the house, put those on separate power strips and you go one, two, three, maybe for a whole house, might have just three of them. That's all I have here. And then you save so much electricity because that stuff, like a vampire, it's sucking from you, giving you nothing in return, like yeah, phantom power. You don't need it on when you're asleep or you've left the house. People don't even think of this stuff. You put it on and it can be a lot of power. That's number three. Number four would be Riding a bike of weather and fitness permit, great savings there. Number five would be taking public transportation. You know, do you still take it? I do. I have my Seriously? senior pass. Oh yeah, wow. I ride it all over LA. I take the subway. I take the the bus, the clean fuel bus system. I ride it a lot, and it's very inexpensive. For as a senior, it's thirty five cents to get on the bus or the subway. <laughs> it's seventy five cents if you're going at peak hours. So wow. it's a real bargain. Are you excited about this train that's coming in? I am. I mean, someone just told me that we, I, mean, I knew we used to have a train, but that Goodyear tires like bought up the train tracks. Is that true? They were part of it. It was Standard Oil in New Jersey, Goodyear. And, uh, there should be a documentary Mack on that. trucks and uh, I think GM was involved and they wanted to sell more. They wanted to have more buses and That's more cars so and more crazy. tires. And, oh my God. But uh, at what cost? Yeah. So now we have other choices. There's people making cars with plugs, many of them, not just the high-priced Tesla. It's a beautiful car, but, you know, I drive a Nissan Leaf, which is much more reasonable. Now the Chevy Bolt is a pretty reasonable car, an electric car, and that's a terrific car. The Chevy Bolt with a V is also a great car. Unlike the Bolt, which is pure electric, the Chevy Volt with a V is um, a plug-in hybrid, so you can drive to New York in it if you need to, or That's San Francisco crazy. if you need to, but you can go around town exclusively on electric with the new range of the new battery pack they have Amazing. in that. So people have choices that are cost-effective. You know, if people 
there are people that can only afford a used car. I understand that. For the people that are going to buy a new car of any kind, you can buy a car with a plug nowadays. And if you have the resources, you know, to get a, a solar, you don't have to buy it anymore. You can even lease the solar. You can have a, one of these plug-in hybrids. You can have a solar system on your roof that you didn't pay for, that you are saving money the first Amazing. month bill. You're paying like 70 bucks a month for the solar, but you're saving $90 a month on your electric bill. So you're putting 20 bucks a month into your pocket. I think that says so much about you, by the way, because for years I saw you in this house and I'm thinking, this person lives so beneath his means. Most people really need their stuff to carry out their identity. And you're like, nah. I mean, that's very, very, especially in this town, very unusual. I need a lot of stuff. I try to keep it pretty simple, but... uh, this house is not what I'd call simple, but Rochelle's happy, I'm happy. and It's, it's still, I mean, it, it's absolutely stunning, but it, you know, you're definitely living small compared to most And here's what people. I'm getting out of it. It's lower energy bills, lower electric, natural gas, and water in this house than that smaller house. That's it's so crazy. It doesn't seem to make Why sense. Why is that? Because it's so efficient. It's just built from the ground up with thicker walls, passive solar design, nine kilowatts of solar, unshaded, unlike the other property that had a lot of shading issues. All of it, more storage, a 10,000 gallon rainwater tank. You know, all of it just works more 2017 efficiently. What I find so interesting, our show is all about, you know, follow your passion and it's going to lead to good stuff. And it seems like you followed two of your passions and... You, you really built such a name for yourself just by f- doing what you love to do. What if people are saying, this sounds great, but how is one person, how am I going to be making a difference? What does it matter if everybody else is, you know, doing all of these terrible things? What does it matter if I turn off the lights or if I use the bags and I don't use the plastic bags at the grocery store? Why does it matter if one person makes a difference? Well, just look at what one person leads to. You know, Gandhi was just one person. Mother Teresa, Dr. King, these are all just one person, Cesar Chavez, and they, but they got other people to understand what they're doing and to help them do it, and they went on and accomplished incredible things. So one person never really winds up doing it alone if it's a worthy cause. Others join quickly, and that's what you hope for. What would, you, what would be your ultimate dream with all of this what would you love to see happen that people understand that it's not just for other species that we're doing this we're not protecting uh, nature for nature's sake and for the sake of the animals and the plants we're doing it for ourselves because you have to ask yourself how many rivets can you lose from an airplane before it ceases to fly before it crashes and there's a number kathy and i don't know what it is i I assume you don't either five 25 105 but at some point if you lose enough rivets that hold an airplane together from the fuselage it's going to crash anybody in aeronautics will tell you that you can't lose that many of them i don't think so how many different plant and animal species are we losing every year they're all like rivets in an airplane and they're keeping us all aloft. There's a web of life that we depend on for food and oxygen and water. And without that, you know, we're going to crash. And we're at that point where many, many noted scientists with PhDs and yeah. Nobel Prize winning scientists are saying we have to do something now. And the big lie is that it's going to cost us to do this stuff. It costs us to do nothing, it costs us a lot yeah. more when you see the kind of 
insane weather patterns that are happening around the world. Yeah, it costs crazy. us to drill for oil. That costs us. Fukushima costs a lot of money to clean up. Yeah. Uh, all these things cost too. You want to do the greenest, cleanest thing that you can, that you can afford, and start doing it by making your homes and offices more energy efficient. You free up income that way, and then you take that income uh, that you've saved and put it into more solar and wind turbines, and you can not only protect the environment, but clean up the air in our cities, lessen our dependence on foreign oil, and as I said, save a lot of dough. Well, this is why everyone should listen to your podcast, because then they can like sort of week by week really dive deeper into this because it could be overwhelming and you might want to say i want i'd love to take a class well you could take a class from ed by listening to your podcast listening to my podcast yeah. called begley-esque thank you so much for that plug you're well, shameless I but i love it. you for it i want to plug it because this is such important work and you can see how much i mean I, as i'm as we're talking about this and the fact that you do the podcast i keep saying to myself how does he have the time to do this but you make the time like you're doing a podcast because you want so much not because you need a job you really, really care. And it's like, I don't know many people like you. And it makes Rochelle happy. That's the most that important true? thing. Well, yeah. then that, that's definitely worth it. Definitely. What's the most harmful thing that we're doing that we don't notice that we're doing? Is it drinking a can of Coke and throwing it not in the recycling bin? Is it driving our SUV? What's that one thing that you think is like the worst one if we could eliminate? The one thing people don't realize the full impact of to the environment is uh, eating so much meat. Even if you're a big true? meat eater, eat God, less meat. Eat less meat. I'm not so delusional. I'm going to think everybody's going to become a vegetarian tomorrow. Why is that? I'm a veg. There's so much CO2 that comes out the front and the back of a cow. There's a lot of methane that comes out. Methane is even more powerful than CO2. So it's a big greenhouse gas. There's that, and there's oh, a lot of damage that's done from current practices from big feedlots and uh, you know these large-scale farming it destroys waterways in the groundwater there's a lot of damage to waterways from that so eat less meat eat lower in the food chain even if you're meat eater have like meat free friday or something that you might want to try and see if you can do it a second day a week but just eat less meat is something a lot of people don't know about it's better for the environment than you can imagine all right well that's great where do you want to direct people to it's you your can go podcast to, for sure. Yeah, Begley esque is the podcast, and we have a, a new website called Begley Living. And if you can't uh, remember that, just go to edbegley.com. It clicks right through to Begley Living. And so uh, we've got lots of tips for people. We've got a tour of the house available. We talk about it on the podcast all the time called Begley esque, and uh, just uh, very happy to be on with you. You're, you're one of the sweetest people I've ever met, let alone in this podcast. You know, people come to this podcast, like I said, because they want to do something they love and they're hoping that something that we're talking about is going to get them out of their own way and get them back to play that cello or get them back to do what that they really want to do, whether it's acting or baking or whatever. I'm curious, like, what was one of the best pieces of advice you, maybe you ever got that affected you and helped you to go for what you really want? I think it was that advice as an actor I got from Roy London and, uh, you know, to, to really analyze a character and find that how a character deals with pain. That was the best advice I got. But perhaps even better than that was the advice my dad gave me, which was, look, if you want to be an actor, you got to work hard, you got to apply yourself, you got to be professional, show up on time and continue to hone your craft. Put a lot of work into it and you get a lot out of it. And I have put a lot of work in it since 1967. And here it is 50 years later, I'm still working. Not bad. Not bad at all. 
what is left for you? You've done so many things, but you're going to be here a very long time, especially the way you eat and how good you look. So what do you <laughs> want to do? What's the next dream on the bucket list? You know, this is going to sound weird, but it's true. I've really had such a great life. I hope it doesn't end tomorrow, but if it does, I haven't been cheated. I want to keep working, of course. I want to see my kids until they're much, much older. I want to see my grandkids grow up. I want all those things, but uh, that's what I want. What I've been given is so, so much riches already. I've just been so lucky. I don't feel cheated from this moment forward. Whatever I get to do, if I get to continue on this show that I'm doing, called Future Man, and we do more than one season of it, I couldn't be happier. Uh, if I continue to do movies with Chris Guest, and I hope I do, I couldn't be happier. But I, I just, I go where the river takes me now. I just, uh, I'm still working and uh, will work until they don't want me anymore. Well, that's never going to happen. You're, uh, you're just one of the most delightful people. They, uh, they say the world stands on 36 hidden people who actually like keep things going, who aren't uh, you know, saints, they're normal people, but they really walk the walk. You're one of those very pure souls. It's no surprise. What a nice thing to say. It's true, though. It's no surprise why you've been able to achieve all what you're achieving. Bless your heart, Kathy. That's very sweet. It's true. It's true. So much fun to have you here, Ed. Thank you so much for all of your wisdom and sweetness. And it's so inspiring to hear how much you're doing for the world. Okay, here are some of the takeaways. Number one, you have to train and hone your craft before you can expect any opportunities. Just because you're well-connected doesn't mean you'll get hired. Number two, don't question if your dream job is something you should do. It's something you have to do. Number three, you can pursue multiple passions in one lifetime. Number four, don't focus on what you're against. Ask yourself, what are you for and what are you going to do about it? Number five, all it takes is one person to raise an army and make a difference. Number six, if you put a lot of work into your passion, you're going to get a lot out of it. Thank you guys for supporting our show. Please continue to tell your friends about it. Subscribe, tell your friends to subscribe, post about it on Instagram, post about it on Facebook, tell people this show, it's inspiring me, it's interesting. <laughs> it's because of you guys that we've grown this community and we're very, very appreciative. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for allowing me to have this place in your life. Thank you for approaching me when I'm going into a movie or when I'm online at a store. Thank you so much. Our listeners have been approaching me and telling me what this show is doing for you. And it means so much to me. So thank you for that. Please continue to support our sponsors. When you support our sponsors, they continue to support us. Um, go to nodayjobs.com, N-O-D-A-Y-J-O-B-S. Sign up for the challenge. I love you guys. I'm rooting for you guys. I know how much you have to offer this world. And I cannot wait to see you living up to your potential and doing what it is that you really love to do because you deserve to be happy. And the time is now. It's not tomorrow. It's not next year. It's now. So keep going and keep doing what you love because you deserve to. I want to give a shout out to the amazing team who makes this show possible. Special thanks to our executive producer, Tim Street, and producer, Emma Kikuchi. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com.